invite you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 through 49. Come to the end of the dream as it has been revealed and interpreted by by Daniel, and now we see the reaction of King Nebuchadnezzar, beginning with verse 46. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. When the apostle Peter went to the home of Cornelius to preach to the Gentiles that were gathered there in his home. Cornelius prostrated himself, fell upon his face before Peter, and we read in Acts 10.25, and worshipped him. Peter quickly responded, Stand up! I myself also am a man, in Acts 10.26. Likewise, uh, when the apostle John fell down and worshipped an angel, the angel responded by saying in Revelation 19.10, See thou do it not. It would appear that the apostle John was so overwhelmed uh, that he, he forgot himself. In this situation. Nevertheless, he was promptly corrected by the angel. You see, we're not only commanded in the second commandment not to make any graven image, but we are also commanded not to bow down before any graven image as a religious act which basically condemns all of the religious acts by way of prostrating oneself, bowing as a religious act, whether it be a human being, like the Pope, or a bishop, or, or uh, any other religious leader, or before any image. Likewise, statues, statues of the apostles, of Mary, uh, again, 
All of these things are condemned by way of the second commandment. We're not to bow down. We're not to render a religious act to anyone by way of worship, by way of, of bowing down to anyone other than the one true living God. Well, this being the case, what are we to think about the worship offered to Daniel by King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2? Was Daniel afraid to correct the king? Or is there reason to believe from the text that Daniel bore a faithful testimony to the king and did not accept the worship that was offered to him. No doubt skeptics would love to find in this passage a gross moral contradiction in the life of Daniel, a man of God. Well, let us consider our text today to see whether such an accusation against Daniel is justified. The main points from our text are these. Number one, the king offers Daniel worship in Daniel 2.46. Number two, the king honors the Lord who revealed the dream in Daniel 2.47. And thirdly, the king honors Daniel and his friends in Daniel 2, verses 48 through 49. So our first main point, the king offers Daniel worship. Look with me once again at verse 46. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. In order to understand what is happening here, let me simply review for you very briefly what has occurred earlier in this chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar, you recall, had a dream during the night and was unable to remember the dream, let alone interpret the dream. He called for all of the wise men in Babylon uh, and demanded that they tell him uh, the dream that he had dreamt, as well as the interpretation of that dream. The wise men stalled and told the king that no one on earth had the ability and could reveal the dream, and that no king had ever before made such a demand of any of the wise men. Nebuchadnezzar was overcome at that point, you recall, with anger. He's furious with these wise men, and he issued a decree that all the wise men in Babylon be cut to pieces. As the wise men were gathered together by their executioners, they came to finally the door of Daniel. And Daniel, upon hearing what had occurred, asked for a personal audience with the king, before the king, which was granted to him. And Daniel promised the king that he would return with the dream and its interpretation, which he did after spending the night in fervent prayer with his friends. 
Before revealing uh, to the king the dream and its interpretation, Daniel made very clear to King Nebuchadnezzar that he was just a man. He was just a man, and, and that it was not him, but it was the one true living God of heaven that had revealed to Daniel the dream and its interpretation. So he should not receive, Daniel should not receive any praise or any glory for this. Notice in verses 28 through 30, chapter 2. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon the bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. And so Daniel proceeded thereafter to reveal that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of this great, this enormous human image that was composed of various metals, you'll recall. Number one, the head of gold, which represented the Babylonian kingdom. Number two, the chest and arms of silver, which represented the Medo-Persian kingdom. Thirdly, the belly and thighs of brass, which represented the Grecian kingdom. Fourthly, the legs of iron, which signified the united Roman kingdom. And finally, the feet and toes of iron mixed with clay, which signified the divided Roman kingdom. And finally, in the dream, a stone supernaturally is cut out of a mountain without hands, which speaks of Christ and his kingdom, and it struck the image in the feet of iron mixed with clay and toppled that great image. It came falling down, crashing to the ground, and the stone crushed it to find dust, and the wind blew the dust away, indicating that all of the kingdoms that resist and stand against Jesus Christ will be broken, will be crushed, will be blown away. And that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, Christ's kingdom, was revealed in the dream that it would grow until it filled, become a mighty mountain until it filled the whole earth, a mighty kingdom that fills the whole earth. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now we come to his reaction to the revelation of this dream. He was so overwhelmed at what Daniel had revealed to him that he fell upon his face, we read, and he worshipped Daniel. Verse 46, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. This was not simply some civil honor. Uh, this was an, a religious act on 
Nebuchadnezzar's part, indicated by the fact that he offers a sacrifice uh, to Dan, or commands that a sacrifice be offered to Daniel in the next verse, or later on the same verse. Now this was unheard of, unheard of. The mightiest king in the world at that time, worshiping a young man in his late teens that had been taken captive from Jerusalem, here the master worshiping the servant. The king knew he had just witnessed something very miraculous and supernatural. He had not told Daniel what his dream was. He didn't even apparently remember it himself. But when Daniel spoke of the dream, the memory of the dream, in all of its detail, came back to Nebuchadnezzar. And he realized that this was a great and wondrous miracle that had been performed. His first yet sinful reaction was to worship the messenger, not the Lord God who revealed the dream to Daniel. Similar situation, you recall, happened to Paul and Barnabas uh, in the city of Lystra. After Paul uh, healed one who was lame from birth that was in the crowd to whom uh, he was preaching there in Acts 14, verse 11, where it says, And when the people saw what Paul had done by way of healing this lame man, whom the whole city knew had been lame from birth, when the people saw what pe- Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of, the, of uh, Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Next, Nebuchadnezzar commanded that sacrifice and incense be offered to Daniel as a further token of worship. In verse 46, and commanded that they should offer an oblation, that is a sacrifice, and sweet odors, that is incense, unto him. Paul and Barnabas once again experienced the same thing as we read in Acts 14.13. Then the priests of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. But the reaction of Paul and Barnabas was clearly to refuse this worship, pointing to the God and creator of heaven and earth as the one who should truly be worshipped, as the one who truly healed this lame man, lame from birth. They should not be worshipped, but he should be worshipped. Notice in verses, Acts 14, verses 14 through 15, which when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. 
Jesus many times was worshipped in his earthly ministry. Um, Just look up in your concordance, worshipped him, and you'll find many instances in which Jesus was worshipped. One instance uh, in Matthew 14, verse 33, after he calmed the sea, the wind, they were in the boat, and uh, uh, Peter had uh, walked on the water and began sinking, and Jesus rescued them. And as Peter and the Lord Jesus came into the boat, this is what we read. Then they were in the ship, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They worshipped him. This was not, again, civil worship. This was religious worship. Thou art the Son of God. In fact, we're commanded to worship Jesus because he is God. In Hebrews 1, 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, meaning Jesus, first begotten refers to him as being the heir, the first begotten uh, in a family was the heir of all things, and so he is the first begotten, he's the heir of all creation, uh, as, as uh, the mediator, God's mediator. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, this is the Father saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. If all the angels of God are to worship him, all human beings are to worship him. Since we are to worship God alone, no one else, Jesus says that in Matthew 4.10, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus was either sinfully accepting worship that did not belong to him, that belonged only to God, only to the Father, or he received and accepted worship because he was God. Clearly, since he was sinless, he did not receive worship that was not due unto him because he was sinless. He did receive worship as being the living God, which is, again, one of those evidences that we can use as we discuss whether Jesus Christ was truly God uh, in the flesh with Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, with any other cult that does not, or religion that does not believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He was worshipped, and only God is to be worshipped. And he received and accepted that worship. He did not correct them for doing so. But as we look at our text in Daniel, we do not explicitly read that Daniel resisted or refused the worship of Nebuchadnezzar. Why not? We read that Paul and Barnabas did. 
We read that only that worship is to be given to God. That's why Jesus received that worship. Why not with Daniel? Why is there not something explicitly stated there? Did Daniel sinfully and silently accept the king's worship? Consider with me, Daniel had not accepted the food offered to idols in Daniel chapter 1. He was willing to stand against the king at that point. In Daniel 2.28, he bore a faithful testimony to the king before giving the king the, the dream and its interpretation, saying, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom. This all comes from God. He made it clear, likewise, the same truth in Daniel 2.30. We read that the king commanded the sacrifice and incense to be offered to Daniel, but we do not read that it actually happened. He commanded it, but we do not read that, that it actually occurred. Did something prevent that from happening? Now Daniel could certainly not physically prevent the king from falling down to him and worshiping him, but he could indeed bear a faithful testimony against it. The question is, did he? Did he do so, or was he silent? Well, let's consider what happened and what likely happened as we consider the second main point. The king honors the Lord who revealed the dream in verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth it is, that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. So here, Nebuchadnezzar goes uh, from worshiping Daniel in verse 46 to honoring, at least with his words, the one true living God in verse 47. What brought about this change? To focus on God rather than upon Daniel. Well, note this in verse 47. The king, and this word, answered. The king answered unto Daniel. Though the express words of Daniel are not stated to which the king answered, it is implied that Daniel did respond to the king's worshiping of him. It would surely be strange that the king answered unto Daniel unless Daniel had said something to the king between verses 46 and 47. And there is even a hint of what Daniel said 
in verse 47, when the king says, Of a truth it is. Of a truth it is. The king seems here to be agreeing with Daniel as to what Daniel had just said to him in refusing his worship. That he had said to the king that God is God of gods, that he is the Lord of kings, and he's the one who reveals the secrets that no man can know or understand. And that's why the king says, of a truth, you're right, of a truth it is. But this is the case. The godly testimony of Daniel would seem to have turned the king's worship of him to honoring Daniel's God. And what we know about Daniel from Daniel chapter 1, that he was willing to suffer the consequences that came to him from King Nebuchadnezzar, if the king found out that he was not eating the king's menu, the king's food, because Daniel uh, would not eat that which had been offered uh, to idols. And when we learn, we haven't gotten there yet, but in Daniel chapter 6, he's willing to be thrown into a den of lions in order to be faithful to God. It would be completely out of character for Daniel to have said nothing and to silently accept the king's worship if he was willing to suffer death for the cause of Christ and to be faithful to the Lord in spite of death. It, it seems again beyond reason to think that if he was worshiped knowing that he did not deserve worship, that he would say nothing, that he would not object at all. What we are trying to do is basically to demonstrate that we should go out of our way to try to set free a godly man from accusations that are brought against him. Accusations that might be brought against Daniel by skeptics that he was morally compromised at this particular point because it does not expressly say that he objected but we find reason to believe it's implied in the text that he objected. And it, it, if we would go out of our way, to, because we know the character of Daniel from the rest of the book of Daniel, that this is completely out of character with what he would do, should we not, in our relationship with one another, be willing to defend one another to go out of our way and not simply to believe an evil or a false report that is brought against one of our brethren without credible testimony, honest witnesses, two or three witnesses to verify and confirm. If we would do that for Daniel, as we've done even now, should we not do that with one another? Should that not be 
the way we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If that's what we would want someone to do for us, if that's how we would want someone else to treat us, should we not treat them in like manner rather than caring about a false report that we cannot confirm, simply received by way of the hearing of the ear. We should, dear ones, be of such a mind when it comes to rumors, gossip, reports that we hear that we don't want to believe those false reports until there is sufficient testimony to confirm that false report. The love of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 13.5 that is agape, that self-sacrificial love that Jesus had, thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. And if it thinketh no evil, it stands to reason it receiveth no evil report. It receiveth no evil report. Well, having said that, that we should go out of our way to try to, as we've done with Daniel, to see what is his character? Should we believe that, that he didn't say something to the king at that particular point? We found, I believe, sufficient evidence and testimony to clear the name of Daniel. It's not that, it's not that Daniel could not have sinned. It's not that any of us could not sin. That's not the issue, but the, the issue is, is this out of character uh, with, uh, with Daniel? Unless it says that Daniel was silent, unless the text says that he did not say anything, should we believe that he did not do so? If, again, there are inferences that we can draw from the text that would indicate he did so. And again... The text does not say that there was actually sacrifices and incense that was offered. The king commanded it, but whether it actually happened, we have no indication that it actually occurred. But what are we now to think about the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar itself, uh, what he actually said? Uh, He's agreeing, I would, I would submit to you, he is agreeing when he says in verse 47, of a truth, it, it seems as though he's simply uh, restating what Daniel had just said to him. But is this a, a profession of Nebuchadnezzar's faith in the one true living God? And so is this the profession of a true believer? on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. Now again, we don't, we don't want to unnecessarily jump to conclusions uh, here, but again, we have 
we have uh, scripture to appeal to. What was the character of Nebuchadnezzar? And what does he actually say here? He professes that Daniel's God, not his own God, but Daniel's God is a God of gods, a God of gods. In other words, that Daniel's God is the highest among the gods. He's not denying that there are other gods. He's not denying that he would continue to serve other gods. He's simply saying that Daniel's God is a god among the gods, of the gods, and a lord of kings. That is, that he rules. It's quite an admission. It's quite an admission that he rules over kings, even heathen kings, which is actually more than many Christians are willing to say, sadly, about God's rule over kings and nations at the present time. Nebuchadnezzar here is even saying that Daniel's God rules in some sense over him because in the dream God has shown to Nebuchadnezzar that there will come a kingdom that will destroy after him that will destroy and succeed his kingdom And there, just as God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll see in Daniel chapter 4, so here he humbles Nebuchadnezzar and gives him enough insight to, to profess this truth, that he is, that God is a Lord of kings, that he rules over kings. You see, even with wicked and heathen kings. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. And even that's true with wicked kings. Even with Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a profession on the part of Nebuchadnezzar about Daniel's God, not his own God. He does not say my God, but Daniel's God. And it's simply a profession of the exaltation of Daniel's God above other gods, not a profession of faith in the one true living God. Uh, we do not read that Nebuchadnezzar forsook his idolatry. To the contrary, in the next chapter, that we will be again looking at God willing next Lord's Day, uh, he takes up idolatry in a very particular way, makes an image, a huge, enormous image that is to be worshipped, perhaps an image of himself that is to be worshipped and commands all of Babylon to bow down and worship it with the threat that any who do not will be thrown into this fiery furnace and we'll get into that God willing uh, next Lord's Day you see there was the evidence the evidence of a true profession of faith is not in our mere words 
Anyone can mouth the words, but it is in the loving obedience to the doctrine, the worship and commandments of Jesus Christ, and the submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is only, there, and faith in the gospel, that there is only hope in Jesus Christ, and all other gods are nothing. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth to the Lord. God Almighty. Nebuchadnezzar had a, a faithful, godly, and learned prophet, namely Daniel, among him. But he did not renounce his idolatry. He did not trust in the Lord alone. He did not seek God's forgiveness, and he did not walk in obedience to him, to the living God. That we learn also from the book of Daniel. That we learn concerning the character of Nebuchadnezzar as opposed to the character of Daniel. And therefore, this profession that, that is made by Nebuchadnezzar uh, is a mere profession of what Daniel had just said to him. In truth, Daniel, what you have said is the case, in, in, is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. The third and final main point, the king honors Daniel and his friends. In verses 48 through 49, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. As God sovereignly bestowed honor and promotion here upon Daniel through Nebuchadnezzar, so he had previously done, you recall, with Joseph through Pharaoh. The Lord used heathen rulers in biblical times, to bless and prosper his people. And he still does that. He still uses even unlawful, ungodly rulers to bless his people in certain ways. Not that they consciously become the ministers of God to us for our good, but to the degree that we are still allowed to worship as we are worshiping. In many nations, that's not the case. We can't, in many nations, you cannot gather publicly as we are gathering even now to worship our God. And so God still uses. God still is the same God that we read and just cited concerning uh, what he does with kings in Proverbs 21.1. He's still the same God who rules over the hearts. He turns the hearts of kings in the direction he wants them to go. And so he still uses rulers. 
Here we read that uh, Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel a great man and gave him great, many great gifts in verse 48. But I would submit to you, dear ones, God made Daniel a greater man than Nebuchadnezzar could ever do. God made Daniel a greater man. What makes a man great? Well, in the eyes of the world, it's wealth, power, popularity, possessions, being liked, exalted by man. In the eyes of the world, that's what makes a great man, but not in the eyes of God. Our greatness, listen closely, our greatness is determined by who we serve. By who we serve. Because everyone serves someone or something. Our greatness is not because we are great people, it's because we serve a great God. But those who serve this world, those who serve themselves, those who serve their possessions, their power, their fame, their wealth, whatever it may be they serve in this life to make them happy are not great. They're not great in the, in the truest sense. They're to be pitied because they think they're great. And they will find out how small and insignificant and corruptible they are when they die, when they perish. Because they serve that which is perishable. Anything in this world that we serve is going to perish with us. It's going to die. And so the truly great man, and that's why Daniel is great. Nebuchadnezzar didn't make Daniel great, except in a worldly sense, material sense. God made him great because he served the one true living God. And that's how, dear ones, you, and the only way you will be great is to be great in God's kingdom to serve the one true living God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daniel was appointed to be ruler over the whole province of Babylon. This was no doubt the most important province out of all the provinces in the Babylonian kingdom. Babylon was the capital and he was seated at the gate with the king. He served with the king. He was promoted to that particular position. It also says that uh, he was the chief of governors over all the wise men of Babylon. That is probably the case that he was the one that was to 
guide, to direct, to set the curriculum for studies and training of men to be true wise men in serving God. That that was committed to Daniel. Perhaps it was in this very school that the Magi, the wise men, were educated that followed the star to Bethlehem to worship him who was born king of God's people, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east. Babylon is considered to be of the east. Wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. From where did this knowledge come? On the part of these wise men. From astrology? No, not from astrology. That's condemned in all of scripture. But from a study of scripture. For example, in Numbers twenty four seventeen, We read, I shall see him, but not now I shall behold him but not nigh there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel Micah 5 2 but thou Bethlehem Ephratah though thou be little among the thousands of Judah yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Again, the connection of the wise men to the birth of Christ is not an accident. Uh, where did they learn these things? I submit to you from the school of Daniel in training the wise men there in Babylon in that school, that academy, that university, at least uh, at least a remnant of it uh, was carried on uh, through the centuries until the time of Christ. Finally, finally note that Daniel uh, did not forget his friends. In verse 49, Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He did not forget his faithful friends who had stood with him through their separation from family and home in Jerusalem when they were taken captive. Uh, they had stood with Daniel uh, in not eating the food that had been offered to idols, regardless of the consequences to them. They had stood with Daniel, reunited with him in prayer that the one true living God would reveal to Daniel uh, the dream and the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and spare their lives. See, a very human yet sinful reaction would have been on the part of Daniel to receive all of the gifts and promotion from the king for himself alone. But he was not ashamed Daniel was not ashamed to be identified with his dear brethren. If they stood together with him in his trials, 
Daniel would not forget them when he was promoted. It was as though Daniel had run the race and had won the race And he was inviting his friends to stand with him upon the winner's stand with him. Right there, first place, the winner's stand. Come up, stand with me, my dear friends. Dear ones, when we are promoted, do we forget or, or do we remember all those who have helped us to get to where we are. Do we remember parents? Do we remember spiritual leaders and guides, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, others who have been there to help us along the way? Do we lift one another up to join with us when we are promoted, to stand with us on that winner's stand? Or are we constantly putting one another down? You stand down there. I'm going to be exalted up here. You stay down there where you belong. And we may not say that, but by our actions are we saying it. Do we forget or do we remember that it was God ultimately that promoted us? Because promotion, as Psalm 75 says, doesn't come from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He put it down one and set it up another. Do we remember? It's God that promotes us. It's God that has given us the job that we have. It's God that has blessed us with what we have. Or do we rather speak and act as if we did it all on our own? I did that. I accomplished that. You see, Daniel was not ashamed of his brethren once he was promoted to an exalted state. He was not ashamed of them. And neither is the Lord Jesus ashamed to call us his brethren. In spite of all the shameful things that we have done against him, against his holiness and his righteousness, he's not ashamed to call us his brethren, according to Hebrews 2, Verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth, that is God, and they who are sanctified, that is us, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus won the victory. Jesus ran the race before us. He's the one what, that was the winner. He's the one that won the victory for us over the guilt and over the condemnation and over the power of sin. And he's the one who brought us up to stand with him on the winner stand. He won the race. 
He did not forget us. We who were slaves to sin, naked and having no righteousness that God would accept, deserving the eternal condemnation of a holy God. We who were utterly shameful due to our sin, he was not ashamed of, but suffered the wrath of his father that we might become the firstborn among many brethren. He brought us to the winner's stand to stand with him. Let us, dear ones, let us bring others to the winner's stand to stand with us and let us glorify the God who has promoted us rather than standing up there all alone acting as if we are a God to be praised and exalted. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee for giving to us this thy word to teach and to instruct us. Lord, we are slow to learn. We are dull of hearing. Open our ears. Give to us sight to behold, Lord, how we exalt ourselves. Rather than promoting thee, rather than inviting others to stand with us, even when we are promoted to acknowledge that we did not do this all by ourselves, that God gave us the strength and he used many other people and circumstances to bring this to pass. Humble us, Lord, for we are proud people and we will take credit and glory to ourselves apart from thy grace. We ask, Lord, be glorified among us. Exalt our Savior, who forever stands on the winner's stand, who is the victor, who has run the race for us, that we might stand with him. In Jesus' name, amen.